This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Steve Fennessy. It's Friday, September 25th, 2020. I made very clear directives in the group. I kicked somebody out of the group this morning because they were determined to bring their Q posters. And I told them that this is not about Q. Right. Today, Chris Joyner, an investigative reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, takes us down the rabbit hole of QAnon, a vast and preposterous conspiracy theory, and now rapidly growing political movement, that's found fertile ground in Atlanta's far northern suburbs. But its beginnings go back at least four years ago to a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. So, Chris, we're here today to talk about QAnon, but actually the story of QAnon begins before we even heard what QAnon is. Uh, And I'm thinking of 2016 about something called Pizzagate or what became known as Pizzagate. What was that? So Pizzagate was a a conspiracy theory that involved a pizza restaurant in the metro D.C. area called Comet Ping Pong. And uh, it it developed, as many of these things do, online. uh, And there was a belief that there was a hidden part of that pizza parlor where Democratic elites were uh, using it to uh, kidnap and torture children, sexually torture them. Uh, And it's a far, obviously, it's a far-fetched sounding idea, but it, it gained a lot of traction So much so that a man drove from North Carolina armed with an assault rifle and a pistol broke in in an attempt to liberate the children he believed were being held there. A North Carolina man was arrested Sunday in Washington, D.C. after a shooting that he says was motivated by an Internet conspiracy theory. Uh, An adult male in his late 20s uh, entered the uh, Comet Pizza uh, with, a, with an assault rifle. A lot of this developed from the leaked emails uh, from the Hillary Clinton campaign, and they were, you know, dissected and misinterpreted online in various and ways that sort of allowed the creation of this conspiracy theory. Uh, because but, it, 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 Comet Ping Pong was, was, as you said, a popular pizza joint. Oh, and a family place, too. They were Democratic fundraisers. And so it was referenced often in the leaked emails. Um, exactly. And, and, and at some point, those things became twisted into something incomprehensible. Yeah, it was a real case of people taking two and two and getting, you know, cheese pizza out of it. It was uh, they got a very strange result by putting all these uh, these elements together, uh, and it became a big story. And it was somewhat laughed off, even though it was dangerous. But in some ways, that's where people date the genesis of the QAnon conspiracy web. It actually predates the person or people that are known as Q, uh, this anonymous online person who drops cryptic clues on various uh, deep web message boards Mm -hmm. that are supposed to suggest to people that there is a deep state conspiracy of uh, Hollywood and Washington elites who are engaged in trafficking children for 
both sex purposes and there's a part of the conspiracy that believes that they're harvesting a chemical from their blood uh, to keep them young and that Donald Trump is attempting to reveal this elite cabal uh, is battling it and they're battling him because uh, the belief here is that Q is a government insider who's working with Donald Trump or on behalf of Donald Trump. It sounds like you're, you're almost speaking in religious terms. It sounds almost like there are almost biblical references being made. Well, yeah, I mean, because it is, it's apocalyptic and yeah. it's a sort of tone that, you know, the forces of good are engaged in a, a battle against evil that in the end will result in a sort of new society, a sort of a second coming sort of a language uh, that for people who are, uh, you know, familiar with evangelical Christianity. Uh, so yeah, I mean, in some ways it does take on a very religious tone. It's also a very populist tone. The idea that there is an elite group that conspires against the rest of us. Right. Uh, and that we're in a constant struggle to reveal a secret society, whether it's the, you know, Illuminati or the Freemasons or this elite cabal of, uh, you know, cannibalistic pedophiles that are supposed to be out there. There's nothing new about conspiracy theories. What is kind of unique about QAnon is how all-encompassing and uh, limber it is as a conspiracy theory. Uh, it, it is, uh, I've talked about it as the conspiracy theory that eats all the other conspiracy theories. A lot of what attracts people to QAnon are the things that attract people to other sort of uh, subterranean cultures, right? Is this idea that they know something that other people don't know. You know, those of us who are, you know, kids of the 90s remember how, how popular the X-Files were for the same reason. It touches all those buttons that you just love that there's this secret world and only you're privy to it. Right. Uh, and, you know, this sort of like uh, peeling of the onion to get to the truth in uh, the QAnon culture. It's, you, you know, do your own research. That's what they encourage you to do. They, and they will say specifically, do your own research, but don't trust the mainstream media. So that cuts off an entire avenue. And the same thing happens in uh, white supremacist culture and a lot of other, yeah. you know, extremist groups. So the, the dogma that they embrace is becomes irrefutable almost by definition. It, that there is yeah, nothing and, you can and say. And QAnon especially so. You know, people walk away from white supremacy all the time. QAnon is so impervious to other bits of information uh, that would, you know, clue a person in to say, hey, uh, maybe this is a bunch of malarkey. So, Chris, I understand there are now almost 5,000 messages from Q. How frequently are his followers hearing from him or her or them? There will be times where there are multiple in a day. Uh, and then there will be times when there is sort of a drier period. There are a lot of them and yeah. you can pour over them like Nostradamus, you know, and a lot of them make less sense than Nostradamus. Yeah. You know, they're, they're so heavily coded and the language is weird. Uh, some of it tries to take on a sort of military affect, which goes towards, you know, the authenticity of right. Q in, in that community.
at what point did QAnon get on your radar in, in a way that made you say to yourself, this is something we need to be writing about? We got on my radar a little more than a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, as I noticed it had picked up steam and uh, was really sort of flourishing. But as a local issue, it really wasn't until the pandemic that it started catching my eye a little more. Uh, it just began growing very rapidly, particularly on Facebook, particularly after the March shutdown. At the AJC, Chris Joyner covers fringe political movements, which often bring out just a handful of demonstrators. But at a march in August that attracted QAnon followers, he was in for a surprise. That's ahead. This is Georgia Today. This is Georgia Today. We're talking with Chris Joyner, an investigative reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, about the appeal and growth of QAnon in Georgia. In August, you attended a Save the Children march up in Woodstock. What was that all about? Well, it was it was interesting. I'd been in this uh, Facebook group, uh, just sort of monitoring and trying to get a sense of the flavor of that group, and they began fairly quickly organizing towards a date in early August. So, did these start these groups as honest sort of saving the children groups, or were they infiltrated and co-opted by QAnon? What what came first? From what I can tell through my reporting, these were created specifically as QAnon groups, okay. but with non-QAnon language. These were branded specifically as, you know, you're concerned about sex trafficking in your state. Uh, they were moving towards a date where there would be a coordinated series of marches. Uh, and there was one here in Woodstock in uh, early August. cover lots of, you know, fringe elements. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is very rare to see a virtual community turn out in real life in those kind of numbers. Mm -hmm. In this case, when I got there and I saw it, it was three or four or five hundred people piling out of cars. I was very surprised. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that is a, that says something about their recruiting tactics uh, the issue they chose and where they chose to do it. Right. You know, many of them had not been involved with this group for terribly long. Yeah. They they saw what they saw was it was concerned about sex trafficking. They were politically aligned, being you know conservative and suburban, uh, and uh, largely pro-Trump, uh, pretty explicitly pro-Trump actually. Yeah. And so I mean, it was you know come out into your community and. March against sex trafficking is pretty easy get for a lot of these people. But when I joined uh, and walking along with the march, I began to pick out um, on their signs hashtags that are specific to the Q community, you know, code words like frazzle drip and adrenochrome. That's vocabulary specifically from QAnon. And then as they were marching, the back half of this large group was chanting, uh, we go one, we go all, which is a popular slogan inside QAnon. In fact, it's probably the, you, you would describe it as probably the QAnon motto. What were the marchers' reaction to you uh, as a representative of the mainstream media 
which, um, according to their beliefs, is actively involved in suppressing knowledge of this vast conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the short answer is they were deeply, deeply suspicious and, and in some cases hostile uh, to my being there. Um, but how so? And, what, what kind of reactions did he get? Well, uh, because a lot of the QAnon culture believes that uh, members of the mainstream media are either incompetently failing to report on the cabal or are in league with the cabal and covering it up. I, you know, I'm seen as really they're, you know, on the evil side of the good versus evil battle. Okay. So I was a little, you know, prepared for that. Can you tell me about your signs? Tell me about what is Frazzledrum? So when I was at the rally in Woodstock last month, I was interviewing a man who had brought a sign that read uh, Frazzle Drip, which is a code word uh, for a QAnon conspiracy theory involving an alleged video on former Congressman Anthony Weiner's laptop that uh, uh, is supposed to be of Hillary Clinton and her aide, Huma Abdeen, sacrificing a child and drinking uh, its blood. But while I was talking to him about his sign, uh, I was interrupted by another person in the march who wanted to interrogate me as to why I was talking to him. I heard you're with the AJC. I am. Have you spoken with the leader of the group or the long the organizer? Stephanie? Yes. Yes, I spoke yes. to her on the phone earlier. Okay. I was just curious, how many more people from the group have you interviewed? Um, I've interviewed them. I've interviewed so I asked her what to make of the crowd at the end of the protest that was chanting, we go one, we go all. And she essentially denied it. The back half of the this group, and now that'd be, I think, probably a couple hundred, were chanting, we go one, we go all. I understand that, but yeah. that was one small section. If you look, if you were to really look mm -hmm. at the signs, at what the people are wearing on their shirts, what they no, are totally, chanting out of their mouths. And so, yeah, I but, totally get your point. Yeah. Right, and so I know when I go and read the newspaper tomorrow and I see what maybe a little bit of you know news coverage we get on TV, it's going to be to try to like totally discredit and tie this to things that are lacking. So they really wanted to portray this march as a, you know, solely sex trafficking, apolitical awareness event uh, mm -hmm. and, and fundraiser even. I brought up the We Go One, We Go All chants to one of the organizers of the protest, Stephanie Grohe, and she told me that they had been forbidden from saying it. So I made very clear directives in the group. Oh, I, I kicked somebody out of the group this morning because they were determined to bring their Q posters. And I told them that this is not about Q. Right. This is about these, these fundraisers. It's about the children. It's about trafficking. It's but having been a part of that community on that Facebook group for a number of weeks, I knew that there was this large element of QAnon culture inside this group. So... Let's talk a little bit about um, social media because it's certainly been the, f the medium by which the word of this uh, has spread and new adherents have come on board. Primarily, we're talking about Twitter and Facebook. And then there's <clears> also, of course, these sort of deeper sites, message boards like 4chan. So to what degree are, are the, is social media responsible for the spread of these ideas? Well, I mean, there were conspiracy theories before social media, obviously. Sure. Um, in the spread of this particular uh, web of conspiracy theories, 
you know, it is the secret sauce that has caused it to spread. Social media companies developed around an idea that they weren't going to be content neutral. It wouldn't be about whether what you said was right or wrong. They weren't going to make those calls. We've seen moves by social media companies to deplatform extremist right groups, and that's had an impact in you know sort of stemming the spread of some of these really really harmful ideologies. Uh, in another way, it has also caused them to become more extreme and violent as they are forced into darker and darker areas of the internet. Right. So, I mean, I could, I could see, you know, a deplatforming effort stemming the spread of QAnon, but QAnon becoming maybe even more militant. President Trump tweeting congratulations today to QAnon conspiracy theorist Marjorie Taylor Greene after she won a seat in the House. Now, Greene is known for some extreme and racist views. She's warned of a, quote, Islamic invasion. She did that after two Muslims won office. She has described black people as, quote, slaves to Democrats. I'd like to talk a little bit about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, is going to be the next congresswoman from the 14th district. Uh, even though she hasn't been elected yet, she she won the, prim- the Republican primary and her Democratic opponent, who was not favored anyway, recently dropped out. She is an, a vocal adherent of QAnon, no? She has been. Um, she has tried to distance herself from QAnon, um, or she did during her campaign in particular uh, when she was in a primary runoff. Um, she seems to be less concerned, doesn't really address the issue at all. Um, certainly she is and has been a personality in QAnon through her own social media presence, the videos that she uh, has recorded and interviews she's given over the past several years um, have been heavily indebted to the QAnon conspiracy web. Um, Q is a patriot. We know that for sure, but we do not know who Q is, okay? So, now... You know, I think it's probably fair to say that she was the better candidate in terms of how she ran her campaign. Right. Uh, she ran as an outsider, she ran against the media. Uh, these are not problems for voters in that area that that went for uh, Trump and in a very big way in 2016. And he ran on those same themes. Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. But I don't know much about the movement. Uh, I have also interesting is that. They're, they're disavowed among some mainstream political figures, but not all mainstream political figures, including most notably the president of the United States. To what degree has, has President Trump's um, refusal to, to disavow them or to speak out against them really in any way lit a fire under them? You know, the president's handling of questions about QAnon has been very encouraging for people inside the QAnon movement. You know, they see this as real evidence 
of the truth of what they believe, right? That he is actively fighting this deep state cabal. amazing is he didn't even have to do that, really. I mean, because they were taking all sorts of cues from his public appearances, you know, how he held his hands and moved his hands to what color tie he wore as all being secret coded messages to them. So he didn't even have to say anything, but his decision to not, you know, to not say that it's absurd and ridiculous and no one should listen to these people, as some uh, high-ranking Republicans have said, has been very encouraging to them. Does its prevalence and popularity concern you? The growth concerns me because, as I said, it's it is impervious to facts, and it it, it is hard to, for people to to draw themselves out of um, because it is so affirming to be a part of it. And so that rapid growth bothers me. The other thing that bothers me is that it's now an international movement. QAnon conspiracy theories are spreading overseas, popping up in Berlin at a protest against coronavirus restrictions. They're chanting Lugenpresse, which means basically fake news. Most European QAnon believers are new to this conspiracy theory. Their skepticism of the coronavirus acted as a kind of gateway to QAnon. So Chris, where's all this going? We're coming up on a presidential election. What happens if President Trump is reelected. What happens if Joe Biden is our next president? How how do either of these outcomes affect the trajectory of QAnon? I really think that in some ways QAnon it will be unaffected by the election. Either way. Um, either way. I mean if if the president wins a second term, they will factor that into the, you know, the running web of conspiracies. If the president is defeated and uh, leaves office, he could still very well be considered to be running a campaign against this cabal just for as, as an outsider. You know, I, I'm trying to imagine an area where it would peter out in the short term, but I'm not sure how that would happen. Now, I think there are ways that technologically it can be disrupted, and I imagine that we'll see some of that. So is, is QAnon like COVID in a way? Is it something that we're just going to have to live with for an indefinite period of time? Hmm. Well, that's kind of a depressing thought. Um, <laughs> you mean until we develop a vaccine? Well, I mean, kind of. Uh, like, what, what yeah. is the cure for mass delusion? It's tough to say. We're all, we're, we are attracted as a culture to conspiracy theories. And, you know, QAnon being in such a buffet of conspiracy theories... It would be hard to imagine that we'll get shed of it here in the short term. Our thanks to Chris Joyner, an investigative reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show at gpb.org slash Georgia Today or anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Have a story idea? Connect with us at georgiatoday at gpb.org. Our producers are Sean Powers and Priya Mahadevan. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.